Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. You're saying, well, this isn't Sunday school. It's church. Uh, we're the ones that get in this mindset. You gotta, you gotta preach on Sunday nights, and you preach your teacher Sunday mornings, and you teach on Wednesday nights. I, God's word didn't tell me that you could only teach on Wednesday nights. That's the reason why sometimes I preach, and sometimes I preach or teach on Sunday mornings. And this isn't the first time I ever taught on a Sunday night. And so, uh, what that does for everybody, it jumbles all uh, us up, and hopefully, it just kind of makes hell a little nervous because we kind of pulled a quick one on him. We're going to teach God's word. But regardless, it is still going to be God's word. I'm going to go from the same springboard that I went from this morning to Matthew 28 and verse 16. Amen. And so we were talking about a doctrine of baptism this morning. Going back to a good old doctrine. Let me tell you something, folks. I by no means uh, apologize for going back to these doctrines and talking about them again. Because from my understanding this morning, amen, he's not here to see me. From my understanding this morning, Brother Johnny Peterson left this sanctuary this morning crying because he realized through the lesson this morning that whenever he got baptized X number of years ago back at, well, back, would that have been the first church maybe? Middle church, back at the middle church that he just really got baptized to satisfy his mama rather than get baptized for himself and for the reason you should get baptized. And whenever we start to explain from here today that there's more purpose than baptism than getting wet, that did something to him and he's considering getting rebaptized for the right reason with the right purpose and focus so I don't apologize standing up here saying we're going to talk about the doctrine of baptism because although you may have heard this for your tenth time it could be the first time that somebody else has heard about it and I'm going to try to just run and give us a little just a little basis to springboard from okay I know everybody wasn't out here uh, this morning but uh, I'm going to just give us a little springboard to run from uh, this evening. Uh, Matthew chapter number 28, starting with verse number 16, and I'll also be reading from Acts chapter number 2. Amen. But Matthew 28 and verse 16, the Bible says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Acts 2 and verse 38 tonight the scripture states these words then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and again my subject matter is baptism and we'll try to do a quick little overview to get us back up to speed but then we'll continue on amen here this evening hallelujah let's pray tonight father i come to you this evening god i'm grateful lord for what lord you have already accomplished lord jesus around here today god that you care enough about humanity that you'll deal with them lord at every level 
God, and you'll deal with a heart and a soul, God, where there may be, Lord Jesus, some, Lord, admixture or something, Lord Jesus, just not quite, Lord, settled, and you'll bring that to surface, God, so we can come to terms with it. I pray, oh, Lord, tonight, God, I pray, Lord, for your anointing upon my mind upon my lips God your word is already anointed but God help me Lord to handle it delicately Lord as a servant of God Lord and we'll give you the honor and the praise for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray and the church say amen amen you may be seated in the lovely name of Jesus Christ and uh, just try to just for a catch-up type series uh, here tonight uh, we were speaking of this morning about the essentiality of baptism, immersion in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, uh, we were also talking about this idea of how some of the traditions of uh, whether it be family or society can become so ingrained within our lives that we all accept those things as truth and in essence then deny what truly is true. And uh, so we talked about how safeguarding ourselves, how uh, the Apostle Paul spoke that some were taken advantage of and went seeking after remember another gospel but he said there is not another gospel and if you want more in depth of what I'm talking about hit the podcast when it comes out how there is not another gospel there is no such thing whatsoever as another gospel if anybody ever speaks about another way or per se another gospel all that is the apostle said there's not another the only thing that there is is a perversion of the truth so there's not another gospel, another way. It's just a perversion of the true. And so that's what the apostle said. So with that in mind, uh, we started looking at uh, this doctrine of baptism. And we began to understand how John the Baptist, known as the baptizer, uh, because he oftentimes baptized people. And uh, he did it where there were, was a lot of water, where there was much water, whether it was Jordan or Beth Arba, wherever it may have been. Whenever John did baptizing, he uh, made sure that he immersed people. So we didn't totally discount or discredit John, although the Lord took that to build upon a little further. We didn't discredit John altogether because he was making the way, being the forerunner for Christ, and was ingraining or indoctrinating the people that baptism would be by at least immersion. And so Jesus Christ, uh, validating that idea of immersion, is baptized himself by John the Baptist and but he stands up and tells us with further instruction to his disciples uh, in Luke and in Matthew that we're going to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Ghost uh, namely the name of Jesus Christ and so whenever we come to understand that and see that then our life as a church or and how we live is based upon the apostles doctrine as New Testament says and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone it doesn't really matter what anybody else says it matters entirely what this word says because we understand all of this uh, according to is it 2 Timothy 3 16 that all of this is the inspired word of God the God breathed word and it's all profitable for doctrine and reproof and rebuke and all these such matters and so if we're going to use a measuring stick for truth then this is the truth remember uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 17 he said sanctify him with your truth your word is truth and so this is the thing in which we measure the doctrines or the dogmas, amen, that we have. If they are against or contradictory to God's word, then stay clear of it. Uh, don't taste of it. 
Uh, we even spoke of how one of the ways that uh, false ideas and false doctrines enter into people and they latch onto them is because there's enough areas of the true that's in the false that they'll focus upon that and before you know it, they're in there and there's some things that have been changed, some things that be altered and then they're already snafu'd before it's all said and done because what you can't get another gospel, you just got to pervert the one and true gospel. Aren't you glad you gospel people? Amen. Aren't you glad that you stand fast upon the word of the Lord? So we spoke how Jesus commanded his disciples, and not just them only, but basically he told them to take this message, remember, to all of the nations, and how God smiled upon us that he doesn't have a separate baptism for the Greeks or the Japanese or the Chinese or a different continent, but he has one plan. You know, he's not a difficult God to get along with. He has one plan that is good for every individual. And how he accompanied this idea of baptism with salvation. It's needful. It's necessary. He told Nicodemus, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. I'm doing a lot of, I know, I'm getting this all up to speed uh, because, you know, some may even get the idea, well, I, I came to altar repentance and I received the Holy Ghost. I'm doing pretty good. I don't need anything else. Yes, you do. If you're going to see the kingdom of God enter into the kingdom of God, you need to be baptized in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we spoke how at Cornelius' house, that as the word was being spoken, that Holy Ghost fell on them and they spoke in tongues. And those of the circumcision knew they received the Holy Ghost because they spoke in tongues. But what did the apostle do? He stood up and he said, Can any man forbid water? It's great that you've been born of the Spirit, but you've got to be born of the water as well. I command you to be baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that takes us up, I think, to a, a pretty good amen speed here this evening, perhaps. And if there's anything else uh, that I didn't hit on, again, just see the podcast. Amen. And another thing, and, and some of this stuff that I speak is stuff, no doubt, some of you may have heard before or that we have went over before. But it is always interesting to, again, point out the idea that there is no inconsistency between the gospel of Matthew and the gospel that's written in Acts, which would have been notably Luke that there is no discrepancy in the Scriptures. There's no discrepancy in what Matthew said or could I say in what Peter's response was to the people that wanted to know what must we do to be saved. We oftentimes point out in Acts 1 that gathered in that upper room was the disciples, was even Jesus' mother Mary, and they were all there to understand and hear that whenever that was noised abroad and they received the Holy Ghost in the upper room, as every person came from every nation and every city and town because they were already gathered at Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, that whenever they asked what they must do for the salvation, how they should respond, and Peter told them to repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, Matthew didn't jump up and give an objection. Amen. By no means. Because he was there. Amen. Why? Because they all understood the command that was given in Matthew 28, 19. When he said, go forth, baptize in all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Whenever Peter said, that name is Jesus that you should be baptized in, they said, we all understand that. Let me tell you something tonight. Now, I feel this absolutely uh, tonight in the spirit. The reason why modern day society has such a big deal with that is because there's been a concept back in the 300 AD era of this idea of a trinity. 
That is the only reason why America today has problems with those scriptures. Because introduced into their mind was a falsehood of Trinity. So they're looking through a veil of an idea of a Trinity and trying to understand the word. But that was no complexion for the early church. Because even as children, small Jews growing up, they were taught there was only one God. And he was only expressed in one person, Jesus Christ. So whenever they read Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, they didn't get tripped up that there's three persons out there. But there were three manifestations of the one God. And so we only get, you, you talk to people that's tripped up only because there's an idea of Trinity that's in the present world. And so they're trying to understand that through that. What is it? It's a perversion. It's, it is a perversion. Because although they believe that there are co-equal, co-eternal persons, three persons, they still believe in one God. So yeah, they believe in one God just that he is in three persons. And so, see, there's a little bit enough of the truth, just one God, but a perversion of that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are three persons. There's only one person. He was expressed in the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. And so there, there, is, there is no inaccuracy. There is no inconsistency. And so Jesus, by his example, being baptized by John, endorsed the immersion, that mode of water baptism. But whenever he went forth to teach his disciples, amen, everywhere, how they should teach, what they should teach, he told them to do that water baptism, that immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, as we know that Peter spoke to be the name of Jesus Christ. And so we practice what the apostles practice. Amen. We practice what they practice. What the apostles preached and what they practiced, that's what we do. And when we understand this, they were authorized by Jesus Christ to do what they done. Their authorization came from the throne room. And so we follow suit with that. Amen. And they were consistent now from country from country, whatever nation it is, whatever culture it is, it's to stay the same. And so we adapt that. We don't have foreign missionaries today that's in Finland or over in Ireland and, 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 and these other Papua New Guinea that are baptizing differently than what we're baptizing here in America because the plan came from the man to be the same. Not only that, we understand what the apostles preached and what they pra practiced. Amen. Its origin, its teacher was Jesus Christ. So that's the reason why we build then our lives, amen, our beliefs upon what they taught. It was by immersion. It was in the name of Jesus Christ and it was the same for the Jew in Acts 2 as it was for the Samaritan in Acts 8 as it was for the Gentile in Acts 10. Amen. But then we say, well, the mode of baptism. We hear that word. You know, people use that word. The mode of baptism. The mode of baptism, which, you know, mode is just a word, just basic definition. It refers to the manner in which something is done. The manner in which something is done. The mode of baptism. And there have been people uh, that have fussed and cussed over the mode of baptism. The way in which things have been done. We stated early this morning that there have been people who believe you don't even have to be baptized because you're saved by grace. Don't have to be baptized. Others say, well, you're saved by faith. And so they don't even think that you have to be baptized. There's others that say, well, uh, it's in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And all they're doing is being a parrot. They're parroting what Jesus' command was in Matthew 28, 19. Amen. But whenever we understand the mode of baptism, one of the strongest arguments for baptism by immersion, 
beyond what John was teaching and it being for the remission of sins revolves around that Greek word there in the New Testament for baptism which is baptizo and we have shared this but there was something else that came to my attention that I wish to share and that word baptizo was used in the industry for dyers that dipped woolen cloths or cloths into the dye so that it would take upon itself the color of whatever the dye was and I have explained before if you're wanting a garment to be purple you it's going to take that garment and you're going to dip it thoroughly in the dye or you're going to come out with a garment that is not totally purple but still remaining as it was if you just dip part of it you'd have half purple and half whatever it was it had to be fully completely immersed in the dye in order to take on then the substance the attributes of the dye but furthermore which was interesting to me this same Greek word is used for the drawing of water by dipping a vessel into another it's not just for in the dying industry, but for drawing water. Mean that if when people went to the well to get water, in order for water to get in the bucket, the water had to the bucket had to go below the water. In order for in order for what was on the outside to get on the inside, there had to be a submerging and an immersing of the bucket. Amen. And so it was used in that sense also. They had that container to go beneath the water surface in order to fill it. And so we see then in Acts 8, whenever Philip is dealing with the Ethiopian eunuch, that the Bible says they both went down into, they both went into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him in Acts 38. Amen. Uh, the water evidently had to be deep enough in order for him to submerge him. And again, they both are going into the water. I've stated a thousand times, there would be no reason for me and Joe that's supposedly getting baptized to go into the water if all I'm going to do is a little dabadooya. Why get my sandals wet? You know, <laughs> and my toga or whatever it is I'd have on at that moment. Why get on that wet? You know, I'd just take care of him right here from the shoreline. But they both went down into the water. And Paul taught, particularly in the New Testament, that we are what? Buried with Christ by water baptism. Romans 6 and verse number 4 states those words. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We are buried with him in baptism, and burial is a process where you are completely covering the deceased. Amen. Completely cover the Deceased, And so just by stating a burial, you all, if you're saying we're going to bury Tom today, we're going to bury Tom today, within those words is already the indication, or at least it should be, that Tom's dead. Amen. We bury dead things, so, which is our repentance, but we hit that a few weeks ago. Amen, we're considering baptism. Baptism, so by immersion, the greatest thing is that we're baptizo. Amen, and the, the history of John and throughout the scriptures. But it's also to take place in Jesus' name. And I, I might just jump around here just a little bit. It's in Jesus' name. There is not one recording or single occurrence in God's word of anyone ever being baptized in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
It's never there. The actions of the apostles never show that one bit that that ever occurred or that ever happened. Amen. Now, the Bible states, and we can see very clearly, if, uh, I believe if Luke, Luke 24, 47, do I have that up there, Sister Sheila? I might not. Let me check this out right here. Matthew 28, 20, how about that? She has so many scriptures. We're swimming in scriptures, okay? Doing the backstroke in scriptures. That's, that's a part of my original scripture setting, if that helps you out any. Matthew 28 and verse number 20. Look at this now. After Jesus told them to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He just told them to go, ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he follows it up, teaching them to observe. The word observe in the Greek is to keep or to guard, not to leave. To take care of, even. So the word observe really has a, a duplex meaning here. For one, he's saying that they would observe all things that I command, meaning don't leave what I commanded. Don't depart. Guard it. Don't depart from what I commanded. But also uh, another sense of the word observe here in the Greek is to take care of. So don't only don't leave what I commanded or depart from what I commanded, but take care of what I commanded. What is he saying? Literally, do what I said. You know, there's sometimes I've been uh, messing with my kids, you know, sometimes, and uh, for some reason, you know, toys don't stay where they belong. I don't know how many times you can put it up. It just doesn't stay where it belongs. And so there's times that that happens, and it should be where it belongs. And I see one on the floor, and has anybody ever just with the understanding with your child looked at that and said, will you take care of that? What are you saying? put it up get it where it belongs and what he was conveying to them he said observe them the things that I've commanded don't only just don't depart from it and, and, and don't, don't, don't just eradicate it from your life but also take care of it do it follow through act upon it and notice he said observe the things that I commanded and he just got done speaking to them so what he spoke to them wasn't giving them this formula to write down to parrot these words. He was giving them a commandment to obey. And so whenever Peter comes on Acts 2 and starts speaking in the name of Jesus Christ, he's not parroting what the Lord said, but he is observing. He's taking care of it. There is an obedience to the commandment. Amen. That's taking place. And so we do this in the name of Jesus because Acts 4 and 12, one among many that we already made mention of today, says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We also spoke, spoke of the scripture of Colossians, I think 2, 9. I might not be exactly right on that. Or it says, whatsoever we do in word or deed, we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the name of the Lord is the only thing that's going to bring salvation to us. Now, Brother McGee, I've read throughout the book of Acts and I've seen people where they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Rightfully so. There's scriptures like that. 
But notice what Acts 9, 5 says. This is, this is the apostle Paul, well, Saul at that time, his moment of ding, 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 understanding that went off. When he's speaking, he's been knocked down off his horse to the ground. Uh, they're hearing a voice. And Paul, he's saying, as Saul at that time, rather, he said, who art thou, Lord? And the response back from the Lord is this, I am Jesus. So if they're being baptized in the name of the Lord, you know what name they're being baptized in? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. They're being baptized in Jesus' name in accordance with what has been taught and what has been spoken. Furthermore, consider, and look at this. We're not, we're not taking a chance to roll the dice. I'm hoping I'm getting this right because the book of Ephesians 4 and verse number 5 tells us but there is one Lord. One faith, one baptism. So it's not like I might get this Lord, if I'm baptized in the name of the Lord, I'm going to get this confused with the name of some other Lord. Uh-uh, there's only one Lord. And his name is Jesus. And that's the name I want to get buried in. Someone say amen. Uh-huh, Mike says uh-huh. Now you're going to, you go walk with me here for the next few moments, Okay. Because I, I, I got to settle in here on the name a little bit. The Bible says, if you'll turn with me to Numbers chapter number 6, and this might be skipping ahead, backward, frontward, sister. Uh, she, I'm sorry to do this to you. I'll send you a sympathy card later. But Numbers chapter number 6, number 6 and verse 22, look at, the, look at the word of the Lord, look at the scripture. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Verse 27, And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them now many Bibles denote this you'll notice sometimes when you're reading the scripture uh, that the word Lord sometimes are, is in all capital, capital I can't talk in all uppercase letters how about that there's always a way around it in all uppercase letters and whenever you have the, the Lord's name in the uppercase laid letters that is God's covenant name with his people. That's his name that they knew him by as being Jehovah or expressed in our Bible as capitalized Lord or capitalized God. And he's saying the Lord, it's a Lord that you're in covenant with, capital letters here. He's going to bless you. He's going to keep you. That Lord, that covenant name, Amen, Jehovah. His face is going to shine upon you. His countenance is lift up your countenance. He's going to give you peace. He says that name is going to be upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. Now, there's something interesting. I'm setting the stage here for the name of Jesus Christ here because in the Old Testament times, the name of the Lord was called upon or over, evoked, if you will, over places, over people and over things 
The name of the Lord was evoked, or what we would call calling the name over. People and places and things. Uh, you've, ever, you've heard the terminology even through Scripture, calling upon the name of the Lord. Amen. Calling upon the name of the Lord. We read in Genesis 4.26, uh, speaking of uh, the lineage that replaced Abel, a son that came from Adam and Eve, a boy by the name of Seth. All right, Cain, he, had, he got a little crawl in his spirit and he's kind of doing those things which are not right in the sight of God. But God had a seed that was preserved through Seth. All right, because Abel was murdered. And the Bible says, here's, here's Seth and through him Enos and such. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. But the literal language is this, is that the name of the Lord was called upon them. No, you, you're going to have to walk with me that the name of the Lord was called upon them. In other words, when then began men to call upon the name of the Lord, it was that that name was called over a group of people. Now listen, when God's name, whenever the Lord's name was called over a person, a place, or a thing, it denoted three things. It denoted ownership. It denoted redemption. And it denoted something else, his presence. Just walk with me here. With that being said, ownership, if God named something and put his name on it, then that deemed that God owned it. For instance, in 2 Samuel 12, and this is not just for God, but even in that culture and time, when someone placed their name upon something, it makes sense, don't it? Then that deemed that they owned it. In 2 Samuel 12 and verse 26, the Bible's talking about a story here. And Joab fought against Rabah of the children of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David. David's king. Uh, Joab's just the, 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 the captain of the host. He said, I fought against Reba and have taken the city of waters. I got a city under my control in hand. He says, now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it. He's saying, David, come on over here and get the rest of the people together and take this city. He said, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. Because if I put my name on it, it's mine. So David, you need to come down here so this won't be the city of Joab. It'll be the city of David. And ownership won't be mine, but it'll be yours. So here's an instance where a name's being placed on something, and when it's placed on there, it deems ownership. The Bible also speaks to us in 2 Samuel 5 and verse 7. The Bible speaks that David, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. It was a stronghold. It wasn't his to begin with, but when he took it, he took ownership by placing his name upon it. Everybody knew that city belongs to David. Furthermore, so he places it upon cities, he places it upon things. You can read the occurrence in Exodus 19 and Exodus 20 that Israel, the nation, the nation of Israel, they became God's people in Exodus 19 and 20 because he called his name over them. And it's then that Israel wasn't just a nation, they were a nation that were owned by God. Because he called his name over. When he does that, when his name's called over upon something, it becomes his. Someone say amen. 
But secondly, having the name called upon or over something denotes redemption. The Bible says in Exodus 6 and verse number 6, it says, Wherefore say we unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, capitalized Lord, that covenant name of God, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm with great judgments. He's saying, I'm the Lord. I'm doing this, and I'm placing your name on you. Not only am I redeeming you, not only am I owning you, but I'm redeeming you. I'm getting you out of your bondage. I'm buying you back. I'm getting you out of the condition that you have been in. And whenever that happens, whenever God redeems you, you know what it's stating? There's not another one like you on the earth because I have my name on you. But furthermore, again, there in Exodus 3 and verse 13, amen, the Bible says, and Moses said to God, here's Moses, God. He said, behold, when I come to the children of Israel, God's wanting him to go back home. He says, what should I say to them? The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. They shall say to me, what is his name? You say, God's sending us. You say, you, you even telling us that God's with you? Then what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am, he said. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Verse 15, and God said, moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord, all capitalized, that covenant name, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, have sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. What, what did the people in that hour have an understanding of? They had this understanding. If you can tell me what the name is, amen, the Lord's name is anywhere his presence is. And so whenever he said, hey, hey, you're coming and you're going to be a deliverer and who's sending you and who's coming with you and what's all going on, what's his name? His name is Lord, that covenant God. They said, we know what that is. We understand that. So Moses, if, if you're coming, you're not coming alone. As a matter of fact, if you'll notice something, oftentimes when God sent people out before him, he'd always send people before him and he'd tell you, I'm on my way later. New Testament scripture bears it out. He sent his disciples. What are they doing? They're going to make preparations, but they're people of the name. So if his name, if they're people of the name, his name is upon them and they're going there, don't wait too long. His presence is to follow because his name and his presence are together. Now that's great. That's wonderful. So if something, if God puts his name upon something, it deems ownership, it deems redemption, it deems the Lord's presence. But in the New Testament scripture, we don't have this capitalized Lord. We have Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. The same name of God that's in the Old Testament. It's just in the New Testament, a different form. It's the name that we invoke in baptism. Now look now. At James 2 and verse number 7, the Bible says, Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called. Again, the word called by which ye are, in other words, it means to evoke or to put a name upon something. Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? Why is that happening? Because whenever he's put their name, his name upon them, they are owned by him. And so they would, if they were to act outside of character of that name, they are bringing a reproach to the name that is upon them. 
And so the name being called upon them deemed ownership. They were blaspheming the name because that name was upon them and they must have been acting outside of character from that name. Amen. Again, if we'll note, and it's an all-times quoted scripture of Acts 10, 13, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in literal translation, it's whoever, whoever has the name of the Lord called upon them. It is referring to our baptism. Whoever has the name of the Lord called upon them shall be saved. And I'm not trying to get ahead of myself here, but I feel like I almost could. Amen. The Bible tells us in Acts 15 and verse number 7, Peter, he's speaking, when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, not God's people, these are not the Jews, but the Gentiles, by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. We understood what happened to the Gentiles. They received the same Holy Ghost that the Jews received. Why? How could that happen? And they're Gentiles. They're not Jews because his name got put on them. They all have the same family name. Now, look, just very, 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 very quickly. I, I'm trying to run through this, folks. Please, I'll try to get you out here in 30 minutes if I can. 1 Corinthians 6.11. Bible says... He's speaking about people who were fornicators, murderers, adulterers, this big, long laundry list you'll remember. And he says, and such were some of you. Now what's happened? You all were in that bondage. And such were some of you. But look what he goes on to say. But you're washed. But you're sanctified. But you're justified. Look at these two things. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Being justified in the name of the Lord Jesus refers to your baptism. Being justified by the Spirit of God is indicative of your infilling of the Holy Ghost. He says you were that, but you're not that anymore. What is that? Why? Because you got a name, and whenever God puts his name upon something, he redeems what he puts his name on. Oh, but I'm not done with this yet. Amen. Let's just go just a little further. The Bible speaks in John chapter number 1 and verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And what are we beholding now? We're beholding glory. That's his presence. It's attached to his name, but it doesn't stop there. In Matthew 1 and verse 21, the Bible says, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus that Jehovah saves, that, that New Testament name that is the Old Testament, capitalized God, amen, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted as God with us. He says, it's going to be the name Jesus. We'll call him Emmanuel if you want to, but what is that? God with us. You get his name, you got him. You get his name, you get his presence. Now, I'm not finished here yet. So whenever a name is placed or put upon something, it deems ownership, it deems redemption, and it deems his presence. 
That's the reason why the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost could speak so emphatically in Acts 2 and verse 38 and say, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And this is the reason why I could say this. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because when you're baptized in His name and He puts His name upon you, it will bring His presence... It will bring his presence and it won't leave you in slavery. It won't leave you in bondage because where his name is, is redemption. And where his name is, there is ownership. Oh, yes. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, being baptized, immersed in water in the name of Jesus is important because anywhere he puts his name, lo and behold, here comes his presence. That's the reason every one of you that's been baptized in Jesus' name, if you sought God, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because his name's on you. He's demon ownership. There's redemption. There's his presence. Yes! Woo! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We've already looked at People receive the Holy Ghost without getting baptized, yeah. But you can't enter heaven without it. You know what I think some of the frustration is of a secular world that's trying to look through the idea of a Trinity formula? They don't have the name on them. And so the presence don't come. I'm not saying it never comes, but I'm saying the probability of it coming is a whole lot greater whenever you got the name. You got a guarantee when you got the name. You got. And notice, you got ownership when you got. He has. Not that we have ownership of God. I don't want anybody to think, yeah, man, I got God's name. Man, you don't have it. He has you. He owns you. But look, whenever that happens, he says, I'll bless you. I'll make your face to shine. I'll anoint you. Why? Because you're not your own anymore. You belong to me. And everything that daddy has, you become an heir of. Ownership, redemption. Presence through his name. Shoo, hallelujah, God. But we're about down for a Bible study. Almost a little preaching coming on there, Bo, but. I don't know where do you go from here my lord it's starting to get hot someone said home I heard that no. felt the spirit of the lord just in a moment then he, he discerned what they were their thoughts you know <sighs> go on and stand with me I won't hold you much longer I took my jacket off I understand some of you got nervous but I'm just hot I don't care if I'm leaving in 10 minutes I'm just ready to get that off of me
Again, just refresh our minds of 1 Corinthians 1.13 whenever Paul was speaking to some of the Corinthian church and some were saying, well, you know, I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas and I am that one or this one. And Paul asked them very plainly had, if he had been crucified for them. And Paul asked them then, what, what name? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Remember, he's tying this idea. He's tying this idea very closely. He said, did, did, did I die for you? Were you crucified in the name of Paul? No, 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 no. Not at all. And I've stated this before, but I say it again. Paul was emphasizing through that, you only get baptized in the name for the one who died for you. There's only been one that ever died. See, the Old Testament, the Old Testament symbolism that we have there, you know, is the blood of the paschal lamb that was put upon the, the doorpost and put upon the lintel. And when the deaf angel came by, it would not pass by. Amen. Well, it's the blood of the Lamb, of the name of the Lamb. Now it's that name that we take, that one who was crucified or sacrificed for us. We take his name. Amen. And his blood by taking his name. We take his blood through baptism. Amen. And it's applied to our life. And it saves us from a world of turmoil and a definite end. Amen. That will take place one of these days. I'm going to close. I'm not going to go any further, uh, but just to say this. And if you want to reference, you can in your, in your word of God. But if you want to find the name of the Father, you can look in scriptures and just one of a few scriptures that state what the name of the Father was. John 5, 43 tells us what his name was. It tells you what the name of the Holy Ghost is in John 14, 26. Tells you what the name of the Son is in Matthew 1, 21, which we've already read. You can reference those. If he's, they said be baptized in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Ghost, or the Father's name, the Son's name, the Holy Ghost's name. And you'll find just from those references, and there's others, you'll find out that name for all of those is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Have Father, Son, Holy Ghost put upon you no ownership. Father, Son, Holy Ghost put upon you no redemption. Father, Son, Holy Ghost put upon you no presence. It's in the name. It's in the immersion of water. Hallelujah. That's the doctrine of baptism that Jesus spoke of that the early apostles spoke of and taught that's the one gospel that we have to live by and that we have to die by and any that comes with any other dogma or doctrine that contradicts that mark it well it's false flat footed with my tongue hanging out my mouth it's false there's no such is no such anything else is just a perversion of the true the right the godly the holy that which is sanctioned by God himself if we can just bow our heads in this place thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC again that's FACMC thank you and have a blessed day